All right, I'm excited to be here this morning. I am fired up. Welcome to Oakbridge City, especially if it is your first time here. And I just want to say if you're new to church, if you're new to this whole thing, even if you're not new to this whole thing, just stick with me, okay? Stick with me. The first 20 minutes of this message is kind of a downer. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing to say at the beginning of a talk, you know, stick with me for the first 20 minutes and maybe it'll get okay. Um, but that is kind of where we are headed. And so stick with me at the beginning. I think God has us going somewhere together uh, this morning. It was about a month ago and I went down to Atlanta, Georgia uh, for a Bible class. And I was super excited about it, although I didn't really know much about the professor um, or even totally what all the all of the class entailed. And so I was excited about it, but really I was even more excited to go hang out with a bunch of people that I really love. I was going to go hang out with my cousin Matt, who's essentially like a brother growing up and still is. I was going to go hang out with Cody Marsh, who was in my wedding. We were going to play golf together uh, because weather in Atlanta, Georgia in January is a lot better for golfing than it is here in St. Louis. But come on, somebody, today is a good day. Um, although I'm not golfing, um, and I'm not mad about it. It's okay. Um, it's all right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll play tomorrow. Um, and so after golf, we were going to kind of hang out. And one of the nights we were going to play basketball at the Georgia Tech Rec Center. And so I'm excited for all this. Like I get to go play against some college kids and I'm going to talk trash because there's no risk that they're going to come to church afterwards, you know? And so I can just say whatever I want. It's going to be amazing. And so I am fired up. We're going to have good food, good hangs, good chats. And if the Bible class is good, then um, that's just a bonus which it was really, really good. And so I'm all excited. Abby brings me to the airport. I have my headphones on, communicating to the world that what's in here is more important than, than, than what's in front of me. And so I have these headphones on. I come into the airplane, and I see a couple people that I kind of know from years past, and they see me. We make eye contact. I'm like, okay, we got to conversate. And so I'm like, hey, how are you guys doing? Why are you guys going to Atlanta? They're like, we're going to watch an Atlanta Hawks game versus the Houston Rockets. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I get online, I go to my seat and I check. I'm like, wow, there are a bunch of seats available. This is amazing. I text my buddies. I'm like, we don't have anything going on tonight. Let's go watch James Harden versus Trey Young. James Harden's one of the best scorers in the league. Maybe one of the best scorers of all time. Trey Young's a rising star. Let's do it. I'm all excited. And they're like, boom, done. Let's go. And so I, I get to Atlanta. We play golf. We go to Matt's house. We hop on the Marta, take public transportation, and we are there at the arena. Okay, we're at the arena, and now we just got to get tickets. And, and, and there's, 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 there's tickets online. We're looking online. There's obviously the ticket booth there and, um, and the box office, and so, so we could get tickets. But Matt is like the master negotiator, and Matt's like, let's just scalp them. Let's scalp the tickets from people on the sidewalk. Like Matt, literally, if you're watching, you know this is true. Like he's the master negotiator. If something's misplaced in a hotel room, he'll go down to the front desk and he'll have them, he'll like have them upgrade them to the penthouse suite for no charge at all. You know, like that's Matt and you know it's true if you're tuning in. It's just kind of who he is. And so, so we each bring $60. We're willing to kind of splurge, spend $60. We're hoping to get some good seats because we don't go to NBA games very often. And so there are all these guys on the sidewalk, and they're like, $120, $120. We're like, nope, too much, nope, too much, nope, too much. And then Matt finds the guy who he's going to negotiate with, Big Mike. Big Mike, we run into Big Mike, and Big Mike's like, $120. Matt's like, 40 40 bucks, 
40 bucks. We each have 60. And, and, and Big Mike's like, 100. I'll do it right now for 100. Matt's like, the game starts in five minutes. You aren't going to sell these tickets for 100 bucks. He's like, these tickets are $240 seats. Matt's like, yep. And they're going to go to waste because no one's going to buy them for $100. Matt's like, I'll do 55. Like, we have $60. Like, I guess he wanted us to get a soda. You know, he gets arrogant, right? And, and, and so, so Big Mike gets angry. And after this long conversation, he's like, fine. Give me two twenty, fifty-five apiece. There are four of us. And so I'm all excited. We're fired up. $240 tickets for 55 bucks. I smack Matt's butt in victory. I'm like, let's go. We go to, we go to the ticket scanner. We go and, and <laughs> scan the ticket. And it says, beep, see box office. I'm like, oh, Okay. Matt, beep, see box office. Cody, beep, see box office. John, same thing, you get the point. And we go to the box office, and it doesn't take long for them to say, uh, those are fake. Those are, those are indeed fake tickets. Um, those are not real. And we try and give them a sob story. Like, I'm all the way from St. Louis. We actually met a guy from Mexico City who was in Atlanta who was all excited. He got scammed by Big Mike as well. And we're like, hey, do you want this to be his only taste of the United States? And she's like, don't throw that on me. You guys bought fake tickets. Like, you shouldn't have got tickets from Big Mike. And so Matt, so Matt's like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, what do we do? I'm like, we find Big Mike. That's what we do. We find Big Mike. And so that sounds like a good idea. Downtown Atlanta guy who just sold fake tickets. And so we're, we're going around to all the guys who are scalping tickets. Like, where's Big Mike? They're like, he sold you fake tickets, didn't he? We're like, why didn't you tell us that beforehand, right? Like, where's Big Mike? They're angry. We didn't buy tickets from them. They don't tell us where Big Mike is. And eventually the search ends. The first quarter's about over and we realize we're not going to get in the game. And then the drama starts. We get all dramatic and we're like, why did we do this? Like, what's the point? Like, why did we go on this journey? Why did we get on the Marta? Why did we find Big Mike? Why did, like, and Matt, the spiritual one, if you know Matt, you know this is the case. He's like, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a purpose. He's like, it's going to be a sermon illustration. I'm like, I think I'd rather have $55. I think I would rather have that. But he was right. This is my third time using it in just a few weeks. (laughs) Some of you are like, I know, I've heard it. (laughs) Um... I'm going to use it in Arnold next week. Um, (laughs) But that's really the age-old question, right? What's the point? Why are we here? Like, what's the reason behind this whole thing? What's the meaning here? What's the the meaning of life? It's the age-old question. It is. This is a question that the great philosophers of all the different centuries have tried to figure out. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, none of them agree. (laughs) But what is the meaning of life? And I think this question rises to the surface uh, every now and then in our world. And I think it's kind of risen to the surface this past week. It was last Sunday. I'm in the lobby right there after our Explore Oak Bridge lunch. I'm talking with my dad. And we're actually talking about basketball. And my phone starts blowing up. And I start noticing some basketball friend names and some people, and, and I'm getting texts, and I'm trying to be mature, and we're in a social media phone series, and so I'm trying to be present, and I'm just pressing ignore, 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 and then I'm like, okay, hang on, my phone's blowing up. And I look at my phone, and the first thing I see is this from my cousin Matt. Bro, have you heard? Apparently, Kobe Bryant is dead. And Kobe Bryant was my favorite player. Uh, he always was. If you're a basketball fan, um, 
you know, you're, you, you, he was probably one of your favorite players. In fact, he, he was kind of our generation's favorite player. So maybe if you're younger, he would be your favorite player. Michael Jordan was a little too old. LeBron was too young. Kobe was kind of that dude. And now he's dead with his daughter. He's 13 and seven other valuable lives that seem to be gone too soon. And whether you think it should warrant the response that it got is kind of irrelevant because it did. It got a big response. Our, our social media feeds are filled with Kobe tributes. I don't care if you're a basketball fan or not. You've seen it. ESPN, every show on ESPN should have been titled The Kobe Show this week. It's true. And the same sentiment was uttered in many different kind of terminology and different sentences, but really the sentiment was this. It was a reminder that life is short, life is fragile, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, tomorrow isn't promised, and you just get one shot at it. And if that's the question, can we all acknowledge if we just get one life and if life is really short, if that's the question or if that's the sentiment that got brought up, we have to ask another question and it's this. We're back to the age old question. What's the meaning? Why are we here? What's the purpose behind this whole thing? So that's what we're going to talk about today, really light topic, um, casual Sunday morning conversation. And we're going to start by looking at an ancient document written by a guy named Solomon. And if you don't know who Solomon is, you probably do. You just don't know that you know who Solomon is. Uh, because Solomon also wrote an ancient document known as the Proverbs. And the Proverbs is really just wisdom literature. And much of the wisdom that you were taught uh, by your parents or whoever, even if they didn't know it was from Solomon or not, was kind of just copied from Solomon. It talks about the way of the wise, the way of the fool, all these different things. And it's a pretty good read. It is. Like if you go read Proverbs, if you've never read Proverbs, it'll help you in your life whether you're a Christian or not. I think you'll enjoy it. He writes that kind of, he's middle age, he's a king at this point, scholars believe. And then he writes Ecclesiastes later in life. And it's almost like he's like, you know, a grumpy old man. And it's almost as if he's saying, everything I wrote about in Proverbs that I said was important, I don't really know if it is anymore. Like all that stuff I wrote about in Proverbs that was like, this is, this is so important, this is so huge. Solomon's like, I don't know. It's almost as if you read this, scholars believe Solomon is searching for wisdom beyond wisdom. He's not just searching for how to live your life, but how to enjoy it, how to find purpose in it, how to find satisfaction and meaning in this one life that you get. He's searching for a deeper wisdom. So he starts off by this. And again, if you're new to church, stick with me because it gets dark really quick. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless. <laughs> meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay? Like all the preachers are like, couldn't you have saved that for like a later chapter? You know, like all the people who go verse by verse and like, people are going to zone out, Solomon. How are you going to start there? And then he keeps going. He's like, well, I don't really care about that because it just kind of gets worse. What do people gain from all their labels at which the, labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. You're going to come and you're going to go and on and on and on it goes. The sun rises and the sun sets. And it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. It's like our 
planet is on just, it's like a groundhog day. Every single day, it's just the same thing over and over again. The sun rises, the sun sets, you wake up, you go to sleep. What's the point? What's the meaning behind this? And then he goes, (laughs) what has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. This is something awesome. This is something amazing. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Solomon's like, hey, what you think is awesome, like eventually it's not gonna be that awesome. You know, like people before you thought they made some really, really awesome things and now it's just out of touch. It's like no big deal. You know, like Tesla's coming out with a new truck. Meaningless. AT&T is going to come out with 5G. Yep, it's going to be hip for a while, and then there's going to be something else, and it's going to be out of touch. What's the point of all this? And then it gets, it gets worse. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, he's like, you're going to die. You're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Their kids are going to die, and eventually, you're not going to be remembered. Wow. Are, are you depressed yet, Oakbridge City? Right? Like, Solomon, can you get us some Prozac? Where are you going? And he's, and he's doing something here. He's, do, he's doing something here. And I know what some of you are thinking. If, you're, if you've read Proverbs, you're like, maybe he's just setting us up. Maybe he's just setting us up to go back what he talked about in Proverbs and how, again, that's the meaning of life. It's wisdom. You've got to pursue wisdom, all these different things. And Solomon's like, wrong. I, the teacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Important term we're going to come back to. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. He's like, I've, I've searched for wisdom and I've kind of attained it and it is a heavy burden. When you see things the way that they really are in this world, it is heavy. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. There it is again. All of them are meaningless. There it is again. A chasing after the wind. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. Apparently, ego is not an issue for Solomon. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. So he's like, not only did I write the wisdom literature, but I lived it. And after I actually carried it out, I realized, eh, that's not the meaning of life. And then he goes, so I took the path of the wise. And then he says, I took the path of the, 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 path of the fool. I, I partook in madness and folly But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And aren't you glad it's over? Like, this is interesting. This is a pretty fascinating piece of literature. And we're going to keep going. Solomon, at the beginning of chapter 2, I'll sum up the verse 9 verses. He's like, this is what I experienced and attained. Pleasure, greatness, money, a bunch of beautiful wives, a personal band. Not sure how that works, but that's what he says. And an empire. He says, I, d- I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this 
was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then I'm going to conclude this portion of the reading with this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. This too is meaningless. What's he doing here? What's he trying to communicate here? And here's essentially what we see in the first couple chapters, or this beginning of chapter two. He's taking all of our stock arguments that we would give to answer the age-old question of the meaning of life. You know, it's, it's about wisdom. It's about doing right. It's about pursuing pleasure, doing whatever your heart desires, just pursuing happiness at all costs. Or it's about leaving the world a better place for the generations to come. And he's like, nope, that's not it. He's taking every stock argument that our world would give, and he would say, nope, you've missed it. I've experienced all of it. I've gotten to the end of my life, and I've realized meaningless. And so he, so he uses some different terms. He uses some different terms There's, that's kind of woven all throughout the document. If we had more time, we could go, we could give a bunch more examples. But the first one is this, under the sun under the sun. And essentially what under the sun means is that he's talking about the created world. Anything that you can see, touch, taste, hear, what's the fifth sense? There's five senses, right? What's the he, smell, right? I didn't graduate from a university. Um, some of you are like, you learned that in kindergarten. Uh, well, I was homeschooled. Anyways, um, <laughs> But any of the five senses, anything you see under the sun, that, that's what he's talking about here. It's the created order of things under the sun. And he says anything, anything just under the sun, anything that you can see, whatever, all those different things, it, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And this word meaningless could also be kind of translated, it's, it's futile. It's fleeting. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's, it's, a, it's like a mist. It's like chasing after wind. It's like, it's like this. You see it for a second, and then it's gone. And you can try and grasp it, but, but you can't. You can touch it for a second, but you can't, you can't hold on to it. It's like sand between your fingers. This is what Solomon is saying. Everything under the sun is. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, which brings about another question that kind of revolves around this idea of meaning. How do you enjoy anything under the sun when you know that nothing lasts? How do you find meaning in anything under the sun when you know that nothing lasts? How? That's an important question to ask. How do you enjoy this? How? You, we, we see it. Kings and kingdoms come and go. Rulers and emperors come and go. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. And some of us are like, well, I'll buy a new car. And then we realize it's just this. You get a new guitar. Go to a cool new bar. <laughs> 
Speaking of bars, I'm dropping them this morning. Um, <laughs> what, what's the point? It's all meaningless. Where, where are we going with this? <laughs> all right, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Um, how many of you guys are going to watch the game? You guys watch the game? Okay, cool. Um, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I'm with you. But really, again, what's the point? We're all Rams fans. Great example. It was like 2003, I think. I don't know. Not much for details. And Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl ring. And again, he, 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 he I kind of like Tom Brady personally. I think he does it different. I, I, you know, somebody like, yeah, he cheats, but whatever. That's, that's, uh, I think he's one of the greats. I, I think he's pretty amazing. But it was after one of his Super Bowl rings, and he's getting interviewed. And again, he had reached the pinnacle in the world's eyes. He has three Super Bowl rings. He, he has a, you know, whatever. He has a beautiful wife. He, he, he has all the money. He has all the accolades, all these different things. He got all the fame. People are wearing his jerseys. People want to be him. And look at what he says. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't it. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer was shocked. And he says, what's the answer? Tom Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I think our culture would utter the same sentiment from time to time. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. But we try and figure it out, don't we? We try and come up with our own answers as to what the meaning of life is. And I think maybe the first one is this. It's just humanism. It's humanism. You, you, you devote your life to, to, to becoming a better human. You kind of put your faith in humanity. There's no such thing as wrong, error, or sin. That's bad for humanity. We can't talk about that type of stuff. We got to see the good in everything, which, you know, some of this isn't, some of this isn't bad. It's not. We, we got we to be kind to people. We got to make this world a better place. We got to treat the planet well. We got to devote our life to a cause. And all of that's fine. Some of that's good. The causes we're devoting our lives to are probably really important. It's great. But Solomon says if, 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 if all that there is is just under the sun, what's the point? You're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Their kids are going to die, and eventually the world's probably going to end. Like, what's, what's the meaning? If we don't know where we came from... <laughs> If we don't know the purpose behind this, is there, if there's not an order to these things, if there's not a wisdom beyond the wisdom, that's futile, that's meaningless, that's like chasing wind, that's like trying to hold on to mist. Or maybe, for many of us, it's, and I think it's a mixture of both for a lot of us, and it's, it's hedonism. We just pursue pleasure. We eat, drink, be merry, whatever, whatever you want to do, it makes you happy, just do that. And Solomon's like, I've pursued both of those things. I've tried to be a really good person. I've tried to do really good things. I've tried to be really wise. And then I've taken the other direction. I've taken the route of the fool. And I've come to realize all of it is futile. All of it is meaningless. So what's the answer? I said that their philosophers of old have all asked this question. All generations have wrestled with this question. People were wrestling with this question during the time of Jesus, before the time of Jesus, and after the time of Jesus. And in Greek philosophy, this is pretty fascinating. You can go home and look this stuff up. It's pretty wild. When people would talk about the meaning of life, when, 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 t when people would talk about the highest reason, 
When, when people would talk about the point of all of this, why are we here? They would use that term. They would, they would, they would, in, in Greek, they would use the term logos. Logos. This was the meaning of life. This is what they were in search of. And so John comes along. John, he's a friend of Jesus, writes eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. He's extraordinary. And he's like, y'all have questions. Y'all have some questions. In fact, y'all are, answer, y'all are asking the, the, the biggest question of all. Greeks would have known what this word meant. The Jews would have known what this word meant. It, it, it's literally translated the word, the word, but there are a bunch of different kind of connotations that go along with the word in this day and age. And so Jesus says, you're, you're, <laughs> you're searching for answers. Let me just introduce you to the answer. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word Word was God. Again, the word there is logos. People in the first century, philosophers of the day, who would have heard that, who would have read this, who seen this document, heard these words, you could you could have translated this. Scholars believe that you could have translated this. In the beginning was the meaning of life, Jesus, and the meaning of life, Jesus was with God, and the meaning of life, Jesus was God. This is who he is. This is who he is. He is the great, he is what brings order and reason and meaning to our chaotic world. This is who Jesus Christ is. He's the, he's the logos and his person and his message and his message about humanity is what brings meaning and order to our world. His message and his message alone, not only about humanity, but also about eternity, brings meaning to this life. John is announcing to us in some form, Jesus is the meaning of life and Jesus brings meaning to everything in your life. And here's why. Jesus isn't this. He doesn't fade away. He's not here today and he's not gone tomorrow. John is saying there's something beyond under the sun. There's something beyond the created world. In fact, there's someone beyond the created world. He was there in the beginning and he'll be there in the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the eternal God. This is who he is. He's the word. And this word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And he says, just as I was sent into the world, so I am sending you. Talk about meaning. Back to Solomon. Chapter two, scholars believe, people who are a lot smarter than me uh, would say that this is kind of a turning point in the letter a little bit, at least. He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Without him, who can eat and find satisfaction or purpose or meaning or the answer to the age-old question? So he contrasts under the sun 
He contrasts under the sun with a different phrase, and it's the hand of God. This is also woven throughout the letter. And the hand of God is referencing the idea that there is someone or something beyond the created order. John is announcing that Jesus is the wisdom beyond wisdom that Solomon was searching for. This is what's so beautiful about the narrative of Scripture. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. It all all points to him. It does. And Solomon's saying, hey, if you live for the source of life, if you live for the one who is the uncreated God, who brings meaning to his creation, then you can find enjoyment and meaning and satisfaction because what you do now isn't this. This is an eternal message. And what you say now, what you speak now, how you love now, how you interact with people now will echo all throughout eternity. Talk about meaning. Talk about purpose. Aren't you grateful that there's an uncreated God who brings meaning and order to not only the globe, but to your life? Here's the idea. This is what Solomon's saying. If there is a God beyond the created world, everything matters. But if there is no God, nothing matters. And there's no middle ground. This is what he's saying. If Solomon was speaking to our culture, he would say, hey, either Jesus is real and he's king or he's not. You have to make a conclusion. Just saying, ah, maybe he's a good guy. That that doesn't, it's not a coherent thought. Jesus said he was king. Jesus said he was Lord. Either he is or he's kind of a crazy person. You have to make a conclusion. And if you make the conclusion that Jesus is who he says he is, then you have to acknowledge that everything has meaning. But if you don't, and if you say there's no God, and you know what? I don't really know how we got here. You know, maybe we're here by chance. Maybe there's a creator, but we'll never really know. We don't really know why we're here. We don't really know who ascribes value to humanity and to all of life, but in the meantime, let's treat people with the utmost respect and devote our life to this cause and this cause and this cause and this cause. When you take that idea to, it, to, to the end, it doesn't really make sense. And if you're like, I don't believe in God, and you're, you're like, this is offensive. This is offensive. What do you mean nothing matters? And I'm not trying to poke fun at your ideology. All of us have probably been where you're at. We don't wake up Jesus followers. We don't wake up Christians. Everyone everyone makes a conclusion. So I'm not poking fun at you. I'm not making fun at you. I'm just saying, if you're an atheist or whatever along those lines, reason points us to believe that this is kind of meaningless. There's a There's a woman named Susan Blackmore. She's a kind of a world-renowned atheist and a professor, and she's good friends with kind of the new atheists of the day who write a bunch of different things about how God isn't real and all these different things. And she's not radical. She's not a radical atheist. And look at what she says. She says, this is just basic to the ideology. She says, when life gets bad, when life gets bad, my response is this. Nothing matters. Everything is meaningless. Get on with it, girl. We live in a pointless universe, and accepting that is a very positive way of living. And while I don't, I don't agree with that, because I believe there's a God, if she didn't believe there was a God, that 
makes sense. She says, that's just rational thought. Not my words. That's just a rational idea. But John says, there is a meaning of life. There is a point to all of this. This is not a pointless universe. He says, there is a logos. There is a reason. There is one who brings order into chaos. There is a meaning of life. There is a word. And again, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was sent into the world. And literally his exact words, this is verbatim. He says, just as I was sent, Jesus follower, I am sending you. He says, this is life. This is eternal life. He prays this in John 17. He says, the point of all of it is to know me. And then he says, when you know me, you join me in the greatest purpose and meaning of all. And it's telling the world about the one who brings meaning and order and purpose to everything in our world. When you became a Jesus follower, we use a lot of different terms for that. We're like, you went from death to life, which is true. You went from hell to heaven. We believe that's true. If, if you're not a Jesus follower, we believe that that can happen for you at some point in your life. We believe it could happen for you today. But not only do you move from death to life, not only do you move from hell to heaven or whatever it is, all the terms, different terms we use in church, you, you, you go from futility to utility. It's true. You go to where everything in your life, according to Solomon, according to leading thinkers in our world, to where everything is kind of meaningless, pointless, do what you want, but in the end it doesn't really matter. You go from where everything is futile to where everything is useful. It's not this anymore. It doesn't fade away. And so there are a couple ways that you can approach life. There are. There are a couple ways that you can approach life. I don't really think there's a middle ground. Let's say you're a new parent. You have a little kid. And you're, 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 you, know, you wake up in the middle of the night and your kid's fussing and it's obnoxious. There's one way to look at that. There's one way to look at it. Either you're a bundle of molecules who by chance happened to fall in love with another bundle of molecules and then you produced an annoying bundle of molecules who woke you up at three in the morning and if that's the case, it doesn't really matter what you do in that moment. It doesn't really matter the words you share. You're going to die. They're going to die. You're going to stay in the ground. We're all headed for annihilation. What's the big deal? Or, or it matters more than you know. Or it's huge. Or it's massive. Or that moment will echo into all of eternity in five billion years from now. As you circle the throne of God, you will be able to point back to that moment and say that was significant because it's not just this. If you believe that Jesus died so that you could be in relationship with a heavenly parent, you would be a fool to believe that those moments are not absolutely essential in how you represent your heavenly parent to your kid. It's massive, so you hug them and you tell them you love them, and there's nothing that they could ever do to change that or God's love for them, and you better believe it matters. Work, work, work. There's one way you could look at that. Who cares? 
Even the money, it's going to come and it's going to go. It's, it's not a big deal. These people, it's, it, it works chaotic. I don't really like my coworkers. My boss doesn't treat me that well. So I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to get to five o'clock. I'm going to go home and then I'm going to do it all over again. It's one way to look at it. Or, or every single person in your workplace is made in the image of God. And every smile and every encounter and every conversation is an opportunity to point them to their creator, to point them to the one who knows them and loves them most. Either it doesn't matter at all or it's essential. You wake up tomorrow morning, you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm still single. (sighs) There's one way to view that. There's one way to view that. Just throw in the towel, do, whatever, do what everybody else is doing. You know, if you're doing this, I'm not trying to, whatever, I'm not ripping on you, but get on Tinder. Date whoever you want. Go about it. In the end, it's about pleasure, it's having fun, I don't want to feel lonely, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to throw in the towel, I'm going to be like everybody else, this is just what I'm going to do. It doesn't really matter, in the end, it's not that big of a deal. Or, or this season, as Solomon says, is a gift from God. And this is an opportunity for you to represent our king, maybe more, maybe more now because of your lack of distractions and time and different things to the next generation than ever before. Or either it doesn't matter or it's an opportunity to point the world to the fact that Jesus is enough and he satisfies the deepest desires of the human heart. He does it for me and he can do it for you too. Either you're singleness, no big deal, do whatever you want, or it's huge in the kingdom of God. Marriage. Marriage. You know, relationships struggling, spouses driving you crazy, maybe boyfriend or girlfriend driving you crazy, like... You know, if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't matter at all, then just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Throw it away. Do whatever you want. In the end, it's not, it's not, it doesn't matter. Or it's huge. Or it's the privilege of a lifetime because your relationship with your spouse has the opportunity to point the world to, to God's relationship with his church. It's huge. Every moment matters. Every conversation matters. It's essential. Either everything is pointless or everything has meaning. Jesus is the meaning of life and he brings meaning to everything in life. The weight room, it matters. I don't know much about it, but it matters. Haven't been there in a few months, but if I went, a few months, give me a break, Josh. It's like, (laughs) if I went, I would have to remind myself the conversations, treating people with dignity, respect, honor, maybe inviting someone to church to come and see what this whole Jesus thing is about, working hard, honoring God with my body, it matters. It's huge. Your relationships, your friendships, your alone time, what you do behind closed doors, All of it echoes into eternity. And so if you're not a Jesus follower, and I I believe, and forgive me if you don't believe this, we can just agree to disagree, it's okay. I believe that you want to live for more than this. I believe you long for more than this. 
And so if you're not a Christian, I'll just encourage you to maybe check out who I believe gives you meaning and satisfaction and purpose in this life, but not only in this life, in the life to come. If you are a Jesus follower, <laughs> many of us, many of us at times, me at times, still live like this. It's chasing wind. It's, it's trying to grab sand between our fingers. If we live, if we live for Jesus, with Jesus in mind, for the sake of the world around us, it is not just this. So every moment, it matters. Every conversation, it matters. Every person you come eyeball to eyeball with is made in the image of God, and it's an opportunity to have something take place to where five billion years from now, when we're encircling the throne, we can look back and say, that was significant. Either everything matters or nothing matters at all, and it's just chasing wind. And Solomon says, not so with you. Father, we love you and our grateful for this message, and it's a lot, and it probably should have been 10 weeks. But God, I, I pray that we wrestle with it. I pray that we think about it. God, I pray for the person who's not a believer in the room. I pray that you continue to work on their hearts and open their eyes and give them the courage and the bravery just to seek you, to fix their eyes on you, to reflect on your message. And I believe that when they do that, it's almost irresistible. And God, for the Jesus follower, I pray that we can really just offer the same sentiment that Paul offers in Philippians for me, for me, for us, for Oak Bridge City, to live is Christ. Every moment, every moment is engulfed in Jesus because he's the meaning of life. And he brings meaning to everything in our lives. Let the mist fade away. Let the temporal fade away. Let the under the sun stuff, may we enjoy it. May we take it as a gift from you. It's not bad. It's not evil. But Father, I pray that we fight against making those things supreme. Because when we make those things supreme, when we make those things God, we get, the end, we get to the end of our life, and I think we'll realize meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. So, Father, let that stuff fade away. Let that stuff go where it needs to go in our lives. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the king of the world, the lover of our souls, the one who gives us a mission and a mandate that brings meaning and purpose into every single moment. May we obsess over him and think on him and live for him. And God, I believe that as we do that, there are more blessings than we could ever possibly imagine. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.